Good evening. Thanks, church and pastors, for letting me share tonight. This series that we're beginning here this evening on the uh, the book, The Reason for God, is, is I think, going to be incredible. The, the book is one of the best that I have read in years and years. And it's just about how sensible it is to believe in Christianity as the truth. That we can know that it's true. That we can know that it's the exclusive truth. That Christianity is the one true religion. Now, there's a problem with that, though. And in fact, we're not even, I'm not actually starting on the book tonight because there's something that we have to talk about before we can dive into a subject about Christianity being the truth. There's a, there's a, there's a problem with saying that Christianity is the truth. I'm going to pray, and then rather than telling you what that problem is, I'm going to let some folks here tell the rest of us. Let's pray and, uh, and ask the Lord to, to guide our time. Father, in our time here together this evening, I pray that we would understand what you're saying, that our ears would be open, our hearts would be open, that we would know what's true and know how to be confident in it and know how that confidence can be okay and can be good and is good in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I may have telegraphed something in that prayer, but let me ask a question. This is a question mostly for people who are younger than me. I'm 35, or I was a while ago, so <laughs> quite a while ago. But in fact, the question I'm going to ask may even be baffling to people who are older than me, older than something. And, um, but let me ask a question. I'd like you to speak the answer out loud. Some, some folks who are, like I said, younger than me. We're going to be talking about Christianity as the exclusive truth in the sense that Christianity is right and other religions are wrong. Now, if you go to one of your friends at school or at work and you say to that person, I'm a Christian and the religion I believe in is the one true religion and I'm right. And if you don't believe in Christianity, you're wrong. Now, how is that friend going to react to you? What's the response going to be? Tell me. Okay. My daughter's too used to me talking about this. Some other answers. So what's the response going to be? Prove it? Okay, that's older people talking about young people. Right. High school age. What's the response going to be? Are they going to say, wow, that's really like the most wonderful thing I've ever heard anybody say. And you're the most wonderful person for thinking that. No? Will is shaking his head. No, what are they going to say? They'd ignore you? What? Yeah. Um, what, what's going to happen in a lot of cases if they say it out loud, and I've asked this in other groups, is what they're going to say is, wow, you're a jerk. You are really one rotten individual because you're saying that you've got a handle on the truth. Now, now does that make sense? Do you think that would happen? That, that, that people would say... You are one arrogant, completely full of yourself. Just, just how, can you, how can you think that you've got a handle on the truth? Now, have you run into that? You've run into that. Okay. You didn't answer the question I wanted you to answer, the way I wanted you to answer, but you still can, you know, we won't take it off your report card or anything like that. But this is what I've encountered is that 
if we're going to teach a series on Christianity being a unique truth, we've got a barrier to overcome, and it's a moral barrier. And it's a moral barrier that says, we who believe that there is one unique truth and that we have the unique truth, because we have that belief, we are bad people. It's a bad thing to think that you've got a handle on the truth. It's, 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 it's immoral. The world is supposed to be filled with people who are willing to let all beliefs be equal and all beliefs flourish. And we're supposed to let everybody's beliefs flourish. And if you tell somebody their belief is wrong, what's wrong with you? That's a bad thing to say. So we're going to be, if we don't get past that, the whole discussion about whether Christianity is the one unique truth is going to have this barrier of, okay, you're trying to convince me to, 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 to think something that I've been trained to believe is immoral, which is that I've got a handle on the unique truth. 57% of Christians, 57, 57% rather of evangelical church members believe that there are multiple paths to God. That's according to a 2008 survey done by the Pew Forum. 57% believe that there are multiple religions that lead you to God. And it's not multiple religions like Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian. That's multiple religions like Baptist and Hindu and Muslim. 57% believe that you can get to God through these other methods. And I guarantee there are people in this room who are part of that 57% who believe that there are multiple paths to God. And one reason that we have this belief is because we're supposed to have this belief, that it's the moral thing to do, to let other religions kind of have the same credibility that Christianity has. Well, I want to work with this with you on this for a little bit. Um, really, just can we play that video, uh, Jonathan? This, this is how it comes across to the world. We're supposed to get a grip on ourselves. Okay, the opposite results of what Christianity is supposed to produce, that we're filled with delusions of grandeur. Well, I want to tell you a story from my background. My, my mom's parents, my, my grandparents on her side, uh, both emigrated from Norway back about 100 years ago, a little more than 100 years ago, actually. And um, they met in America, and they ended up homesteading in North Dakota, way out on the west end at the southwest corner of North Dakota, sod, house, and everything. And my mother was so proud of her Norwegian heritage. I mean, she was, it was Norway everything. And the Norwegians are a, a hardy people, you know, the, 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 the fjords and everything, and, the, and way up north, and the snow. And what an incredible, incredible heritage it is. And Mom, for years, had this cartoon 
comic strip on, on a refrigerator that I wish I could find an image of. It was Hagar the Horrible. Have you ever seen that? He's a Viking king. And it had him saying, well, I don't have the comic strip, but I found a bumper sticker with the image. It's hard to be humble when you're Norwegian. Well, okay, it's hard to be humble when you're Norwegian. If it's hard to be humble when you're Norwegian, how much harder is it to be humble when you have the one truth? How much harder is it to be humble when you have the one truth? Well, we're going to take a closer look at this in, in, in several ways. And what I want to do is talk about where this whole problem came from in history. Because if you know where something comes from, it, it's, it, it kind of helps you understand what it means. So we're going to look at it biblically and in terms of the cross. So, and this is going to be a very, very brief summary and just touching on a couple of representative people. For the first several hundred years after the... Um, after Christianity permeated Europe, and really you can go back to people even before Christ, um, there was this confidence that if you wanted to know truth, you could find it, some of it, not all of it, but you could find truth and you could have a confidence that you had discovered and had a, a handle on something that was true. Well, long about 1500, 1600, the, um, that began to fade. And one reason it faded was because the confidence that we have that we can have a grip on truth comes from our relationship with God. See, God is the God of truth, and God speaks. He created us in his image so that we can hear him speak and we can grasp some truth. And he made us so that, that, so that we could have some kind of a sense of what was true. And we wouldn't have to just wonder all the way through life if we knew anything truly or not. Well... Around uh, 1600, a philosopher by the name of Rene Descartes came along, and he, was, he, he threw that all away. He said, you know, I don't know if I can know anything. He was hundreds of years before the Matrix. He was the original Matrix guy because he invented the idea of the brain in the vat, practically. He didn't talk about it in terms of the science fiction thing. He said he, he did it in terms of uh, maybe uh, some evil demon is, is affecting me. But in the Matrix movie, you had these people who were basically just bodies in a vat, and they were being fed this belief that they were living a real life in real cities with real interactions, but they were really, in, in reality, were just inert, being fed these perceptions. And Descartes said, you know, when I'm dreaming, um, I think it's real. Maybe when I'm not dreaming and I think it's real, I'm wrong too. Maybe nothing that I experience is real. Maybe nothing that I experience is real. Maybe I can't trust my eyes, my ears, any of my perceptions. And he said, what can I know for sure? And the only thing he decided he could know for sure, or at least for part, was that he wasn't sure he knew anything for sure. In other words, he thought, well, I know that I'm doubting, so I must be thinking. And then the most famous phrase in all the philosophical history, I think, therefore I am. And that's as far as he got. Well, no, it isn't. He got some farther. But you get a sense of, the, uh, of, of the, the corrosion that he was starting to bring about to the sense that we could know anything for sure because he said we, we, we can't trust anything that we see, feel, hear, or touch. About 100 years later, another guy came along, and in, uh, in, this was in Britain this time, David Hume, and he said, no, Descartes had it all wrong. The only thing we can trust is what we see, feel, hear, and touch. And instead of the rational inside-the-head approach that Descartes said, used, he said we have to use our perceptions. And, we, and, and yet he, 
he contributed to this corrosion of confidence in the, in the knowledge of truth because he said, you know, all we know is what we can see. Very famous illustration he used, billiard balls. One hits another one, and the second one moves. Well, we know that the second one moves. But what happens between the two of them? We don't know because that's something we can't see. We don't know what causation is. When one billiard ball causes, we, we don't know. Well, that contributed to corroding the sense that we know anything at all. And then a, not quite a hundred years later, the most influential philosopher of the last several hundred years, Immanuel Kant, a Prussian man, was uh, trying to chart a middle way between the two. And what he said, and he was incredibly influential down to the 21st century, what he said was we can never know anything what it is in itself. This lectern here, I can, whatever it is, in itself, I don't know because I have to process it through whatever's going on in my head, the categories in my brain, and that filtering changes it somehow, for all we know, and I don't know what this really is. And it's corroding the sense that we know anything at all. And so we're losing the sense that we know any truth. Of course, at the same time, you have science coming along, and science was seemed to be kind of a savior because we could learn things and we could get truth out of science like chemistry and electricity and biology, and we could, we could build spaceships and we could, uh, we, we could decode the human genome. But science wasn't a great savior either because... Science led to not just knowledge, but also to destruction of the environment, destruction of other countries or other people. And worst of all, with science, we could never come to the answers that really count of what is it about life that matters? What do I do when it feels awful? What do I do when I'm trying to make sense of it? Science couldn't bring us out of this. And again, this corrosion of the sense that we could know truth. And it's affected everybody in this room. Whether you know how, where it came from or not, but that gives you a little tiny taste of a hint. Along with that, there was even more going on, though, because we were, through technology, through uh, uh, communication and transportation, discovering the whole rest of the world. And globalization put us in touch with people everywhere who had different beliefs. And so you have people all over the world with beliefs in Hinduism and, and Islam and Buddhism and the Sikh religion and tribal religions and everything. And we were no, nowhere near confident that we had a grip on what was true. We run into all these other nice people who have a sense that they, what they believe is true. And what can we do but just try to get along and coexist? And, the, and in order to coexist, if we say we're right and they're wrong, that becomes an immoral thing to say. And that's the root of the problem that says that if you believe in Christianity as the one true religion, you are a bad person. And there's a lot of that feeling out there. Well, what does the Bible say? Obviously not the same thing. The world says nobody knows what's really true. We can only know so much, so we ought not claim too much. And God is too big to fit into one religion. And I jumped ahead of myself. I'll go back to where I was in the notes. That there's a real problem with this. And I've mentioned Jacob to you before um, when I've spoken here before, but it's such a good illustration. I'm going to use him twice. He's an international policy advisor, lives up near Washington, D.C. I've never met him face-to-face, -face, but we've communicated a lot on my blog, Thinking Christian. And he's one of these people who has a, a strong commitment to the belief that we don't really know anything for sure. 
So I asked him on the blog, I said, well, what about 2 plus 2 equals 4? That's right. And 2 plus 2 equals 5? That's wrong. He answered. He said, in response to that comment, why must one of us be right and the other wrong? Can there be no other possibility? Is the world that closed? Is your way of thinking that closed? Do you hear the moralism coming out of that? You're, you're a bad person if you've got this closed mind. I would disagree, he says, that it is not necessary to use the terms right and wrong. The teacher trains the child to admit the signs that the teacher was taught to admit and their teacher was taught to admit and the people that certify teachers were taught to admit. Or said differently, of course, 2 plus 2 equals 5 is an illegitimate answer. The child will probably be corrected or retrained if they said that it equaled 5. Now, what's happened to our confidence in the knowledge of truth here? My goodness. And this is all over the universities. Well, that's kind of an extreme case, but more common is the belief that, that no one has a grip on what's really true in terms of morality. And there's another uh, person I've communicated with on the blog. His name is Paul, and he's a, a professor at Cal State San Luis Obispo, but this is not just a California thing. Um, Paul is a, is a person who says that we can't know the truth of what's true about morality. And he said, I think the Holocaust was wrong. From my culture's perspective, morality, from many cultures' morality, but not from Hitler's. Well, okay, Paul, maybe you're saying, you know, Hitler had a different morality and he was wrong. But he wasn't. I pressed him on it, and he said, that does mean that I give up the ability to say that in their own times and places, slavery, sati, and child sacrifice were wrong. Sati was a practice used in India, that was a custom in India, that whereby women whose husbands died, the widows, were required by law and custom to throw themselves alive onto the flames in which his body was burned and to die with him. And what Paul was saying was that where that was the custom, it was not wrong. Where child slavery was the custom, it was not wrong. He says, I, will, I can still want to outlaw slavery in other societies because that is my moral code instilled in me by my society. There's nothing stopping me from doing so, even as I acknowledge that in slave culture, slavery is not wrong. Do you get that? Slave culture, like Alabama, 1850, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, 1850, slavery was not wrong. Because Paul believes that slavery is wrong, but he has no confidence in his knowledge of that, that he won't put it off on anybody else. And there's a lot, of, in fact, this, this sense of moral whateverism, we use the term relativism, but whateverism works too, is rampant to the point where most people in that age younger than me, 35 and younger, think it's self-evident. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's rampant. Not necessarily everybody, but it's, it's very, very much common. Well, the Bible says, in contrast, Isaiah 45:19, uh, God spoke and he said, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. There is truth and there is speaking of the truth to us so we can know what is true. 
Because we're created in God's image and we can receive the truth that he speaks to us. In the book of John, 25 times Jesus used the phrase, truly, truly, I say to you. There's truth and there's speaking, there's communication, and we can actually have confidence that we can know truth. In John 16, 13, he said, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things to come. There is truth, and there is guiding into the truth and declaring. We can, as people created in God's image, know truth. Not all of it, but we can know truth as much as we know it. And we can be confident that we know it because he's made it possible for us to be confident that we know it. We don't have to suffer under this corroded knowledge, a corroded confidence in knowing what's true. It's not immoral to think that we know something's true because God has made it possible. Jesus, uh, in his trial, answered Pilate. Pilate said, so you are a king. And, he, and Jesus said, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Now, many times in the Gospels, Jesus spoke of why he came. Like Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. But this is the one place I know of where he used this emphatic repetition. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I have come. And it was to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So there is one truth. Well, there really is one truth. And, and we who say that we have truth and other religions are wrong, we've got some ground to stand on. Not only that, but the other people who say all religions are right, well, they can't be right about that. And here's why. It's because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, imagine a menu of options that you can pick from. Of religions, And this is where people come up with their idea of truth. If, if there's no truth that you can really be confident in, you still have to kind of claim one. And we still use the word truth, but people kind of get their truth from wherever. They'll pick a little bit out of science. They'll pick a little bit out of their parents' background. They'll pick some out of Hinduism or New Age or whatever they think is cool. And they'll package it all together and they got their nice truth. And they pull it off a menu of, of spiritual options. And so, you know, you can grab some from here and grab some from here. And so the universe is full of nice ideas that we can pull from to pull, our, to, to, to pull together and, and have our own truth. And so Hinduism is a nice idea. And you can follow the Eightfold Path of Buddhism, and that's a nice idea. And you've got the nice idea of five things you can do in Islam. Oh, and there's this other nice idea, which is that the loving father allowed his beloved son to be brutally tortured and killed. And, and that's a nice idea, too. You know, he did that for us. It, it was one of the options. You've got to plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. They're all good enough, too. But, 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 you know, we'll throw this one in, too, because in case you don't like those. You know, in case you don't like those ideas, we'll kill the Son of God. Now, I'm sorry, but that doesn't fit on that option menu, does it? The, the, the cross of Christ is not one of the universe's nice ideas. The cross of Christ is not a good idea unless it's the only good idea. God would not have allowed his son to suffer that way if there was a list of other good ideas. And you know what? You don't even have to be a Christian to recognize that. You don't have to believe in Christ to see that that's true. So I can say to my, to my friend, you know, if... Um, if you think the cross 
If you think Christianity is, is part of this list of, of nice ideas, you, you, know, you, can, you, you can't make it so. And when I say that your religions are wrong, and you say, well, it's really bad for you to say that about my religions, well, I'm sorry, but you can have to say, if you believe your religions, you have to say that mine is wrong. Because there is a wall between Christianity and everything else. And if one's right, the others are wrong. And if these are right, this one's wrong. Does that make sense? So, do we hold the truth? Well, what does it mean to hold the truth? We have to look at it from the perspective of the people we're talking to. A lot of missionary work is translation, right? And so you have to get it in the language that they're used to. And, and the people who think in terms of truth in our culture don't think of it the way the Bible thinks of it. They think of it in terms of I'm picking my options and I'm creating my package that fits me and suits me. And it works for me. And that's my truth. So I've got my truth. And, and so that's how they understand it. That's how they think we get truth. Well, when we say that we've got the truth, they're thinking that we got it the same way, that we went out and picked out things. Oh, Christianity, I like that one. Oh, and it has to fit everybody else too. They think that's what we're doing. They think we're grabbing something that we just kind of like and we're imposing it on everybody else. That's not what we're doing. But you understand the translation problem? If that's what they think we're doing, we've got to tell them we're not. That that's not how it works. You know, we say there is one God and one truth for all people at all times. What do they hear us saying if we don't translate it? They hear us saying, well, our truth is better than your truth. We're special. We figure, you know, um, or as I think we can play this. No, the audio didn't work. Uh, basically, guys saying the same thing. Um, that... We've got to translate the sense that, that we're not doing that. We're not just picking and choosing our truth and imposing it on everybody else. But we have to see it through their eyes so that we can communicate that it's not what they think we're saying. It's something else. In fact, here's the question. Do we have the truth? Certainly we do. But it's not our truth. It's his do we hold the truth? No. The truth holds us. And this is, where, this is where it's not arrogance, it's humility. If I say I can pick and choose my own truth and kind of package my own truth up, what I'm really doing in that case is arrogant because I'm saying I don't care what truth is, I'll pick my own. What Christianity says is the truth holds us. Capital T, Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth holds us. We don't hold the truth. We submit to it. We yield to it. It's not our truth. And if we can communicate that, if we can get that across, we can hold the truth in full confidence that we know it and that we can hold it humbly. We don't have delusions of grandeur. We have a relationship with a God who tells us what is true. So my encouragement to you is remember where this came from. It didn't come from, from heaven that we shouldn't be claiming the truth. It came from somewhere else entirely. What God says is that we're created in his image and we can know truth. We know it humbly 
as ones who have received it. And we're not bad people for saying that. We have the strength and the confidence of the truth.